I want us to look at a story today uh, found in Second Chronicles about one of the kings of Judah. And this king's name was Jehoshaphat. Now, we're just all going to agree right now, I'm just going to speak on behalf of the group, that it's okay if I mess that name up throughout the time. Because, it, you know, these names, these biblical names, I mean ridiculous. But anyway, Jehoshaphat is the name of this king. And we're going to pick up our story, our reading in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. Now this message that I've got to you today is not rocket science. It's a very simple message that I just believe will encourage you. And just, I want to build your faith today. Is that okay? All right, let's get to reading. It says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites together with some of the Mayanites, and Moabites, Ammonites, Mayanites, so three different uh, people groups came to fight against our king, King Jehoshaphat. People came and told Jehoshaphat, see there we go, I'm just making it up, uh, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom has come to fight against you. A vast number has come to fight against you. It says they are already in Hazazon Tamar. Like they're already real close, they're saying. They're already close by. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he resolved to seek the Lord. It says then that King Jehoshaphat gathered all of his people from near and far. So he sent out a call to everyone under the rule, in, under all the people of Judah. And he called them to come back. And he demanded that everybody begin a fast and to pray. He called his entire nation to fast and pray. And then we read, and we're going to read it in a moment, but we read a prayer that King Jehoshaphat prays in front of all of his people. And the last line of his prayer says this, we don't know what to do but we look to you. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. We don't know what to do. Tell me I'm not the only person in a room that has stood there and looked at my circumstance and thought, mm, mm -mm, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We've all been in that position, haven't we? We've all looked at our circumstance, our life, that thing, that vast number that stands in front of us, and we've gone, I don't know what to do. My finances are totally messed up and I don't know what to do. I've hurt someone that I love and I don't know what to do. My uni work is just like, I'm in way over my head and I don't know what to do. There's something going down at work with my boss and I do not know what to do. My marriage is in trouble right now and I don't know what to do. There is stuff going on in my world. I've got an illness that I just doesn't seem to be shifting and I don't know what to do. We become overwhelmed, don't we? When we feel like we're up against a vast number, when it feels like it's coming in from all sides, we can feel that feeling. We all know that feeling of being overwhelmed or like Jehoshaphat, we stand there and we're afraid. And sometimes panic can begin to rise and we're like, I don't know what to do. So the question that I have for us here today is what do we do? when we don't know what to do. Before COVID happened in 2020, right at the beginning in, in, in uh, January, February, Steve and I had the most amazing opportunity to take our kids to Florida, to Disney World. And we did this, we'd actually been on long service leave, we'd been away from New Zealand for like three months. And Disney World was our last um, stop on the way back home. We just went via, um, from London through to um, the States. And then we were about to come back home. And so we're in, a large American airport, and it's one of those, like much, much bigger than the Auckland airport, uh, a large American airport, and it's one of those airports that has multiple terminals connected by trains. So you can't get there in time for your flight if you're going to walk, like you have to catch a train. And so we're in this busy American airport, 
We're about to catch our last flight home. It's a 15-hour flight home, and we need to catch a train to get to the correct terminal. Now, as we're nearing the doors of the train, the doors begin to beep. You know, that, you know the beeping sound, don't you? The one that's indicating that the doors of the train are about to close. There are people all around us. This is like a really busy platform on this that we're getting on on this train we've each we've been away remember we've been away for three months we've got a lot of luggage right I've got two boys and we've got a lot of luggage the four of us are there we've each got a suitcase in our hands I've got a backpack on my front on my front and a backpack on my back and we begin to run for the doors of this train Steve and Rocky my youngest are in front of us and so we run for it to get on this train they jump on I jump on I turn around to see Judah my at the time 10 year old standing on the other side of the doors as the doors begin to close he leans in he hesitates he pulls back as the doors are closing I think what am I going to do like I'm standing there, I've got a suitcase in one hand, a suitcase in the other, a backpack on my back and a backpack on my front. I'm thinking, what? I don't know what, Darcy, I don't know what to do. I'm standing there, I'm thinking, my 10-year-old is about to be left on the platform of a busy American airport and I have no idea how I'm going to get him back if I leave on this train. I'm, I don't know what to do. So I do what the only thing that comes to my mind. I've got no, ha no free hands. Don't ask, do not ask me what's going on with my legs because I use the only free body part I thought I had, my head. <laughs> I stick my head in the doors of the train and I shunt it open, allowing my 10-year-old to walk in. Thank you, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. I didn't know what to do. And the truth is sometimes... When we don't know what to do, we do the first thing that comes to us. We do what is innate in us. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat had spent many, many years. One of the things that set Jehoshaphat apart from a lot of the other kings of both Judah and Israel was the fact that he did everything he could to turn the hearts of the people back toward the heart of God. See, when we first meet him and when he first becomes king, he spends time pulling down different altars that are built to worship other gods. He spends time fortifying their city, strengthening the walls of their city so that other nations can't come in and turn the hearts of their people away from the Lord. He also reestablishes the Levite priests and judges in order that the hearts of the people might reconnect again with the heart of God. And so it's easy to guess what Jehoshaphat did in his season of I don't know what to do because he did what was innate in him. He did what he had been doing all along. He resolved to seek the Lord. In his moment when he didn't, he was like, I don't know what to do, but I'm simply going to do what's in me all along. I'm going to look to you. And my question for us here today is what foundation are you and I building in our lives that will stabilize us in a season of I don't know what to do? Because Jehoshaphat spent many years building a foundation that helped him in this moment. Think of it like this. Most of us, when we train for our job, we train every day for the tasks we need to use every day, right? We train and we build up skills and we're going to use those skills every day to do the job that we're doing. But if we train for a job like 
the army, or some other special forces, the training we are undertaking is not training us with skills for the things we will do every day. The training we are undertaking is training us with skills for the day we wish will never come, for the day we hope will never come, for the worst day. And when you can build a foundation of prayer in your life, when you can build a foundation of worship, a foundation of praise, a foundation that sits in the Word daily, when you can build that kind of foundation in your life, you are training yourself for your worst day. You are training yourself for the season of I don't know what to do. He resolved to seek the Lord. He said, I don't know what to do, but Lord, I'm going to look to you. And I want to say to us today, let that be our innate response when we're in a season of I don't know what to do. Let's read that prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed. In 2 Chronicles 20 verse 5, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the new courtyard. He said this, he said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Are you not the God who? Are you not the God who? Here's the thing about faith. It is real hard to stir your faith based on what you see with your physical eye in your present circumstance. Because when you look at it, it's a fast number, right? When you look at the situation that sits right before you, that situation that's causing you to stand there afraid, that situation that's causing you to say, we don't know what to do. When you look at that, it's actually very difficult to stir up faith. And too many times our problem is that we are trying to fan our faith into flame while looking at our present circumstance, while looking at what's right in front of us. But I kind of get the feeling that this is one of the only moments in life where it would benefit us more to look back than it does to look ahead. Because if we could look at the pathway of miracle moments that God has given us along the way, perhaps it would be easier for us to stir our faith for the season that's sitting right in front of us, right? Think of it like this. When you have a job needed to be done around the house and you can't do it yourself, like maybe you've got some tiling that needs to be done. Maybe you've got a paint job that needs to be done. Perhaps a fence that needs to be put in. And you don't know who to get. You're like, I don't know anybody that could do this. What's the first thing that you do? Where do you go? You go to the community grapevine. The Papakura grapevine, right? I've been on there before. We used to live just down the road. I've been on that grapevine. You pop it in there. You go in there looking for recommendations. And you say, hey, anybody got a tile guy? Anybody got a paint guy? Anybody got a fence guy? And then all the recommendations come in, don't they? And then you got people who jump on and say, I second that one. I second Jimmy's tiling. I second Sally's painting. I don't know. Does Sally paint? I'm not sure. 
And you've got all these recommendations that come in. And so when the recommendations come in, you know that when you're booking your tile guy or Sally the paint lady, you know that you are not booking her or him. You know you're not making that booking because you're confident that they will do your job well. You're booking it based on the recommendation, on the testimony of a previous job done well. And so I can put, I'm, I'm putting my faith in that for them to do my job done well. And so when we put, when we trust in God for the miracle we need, we're actually, listen, it's a miracle done here. And it's a prayer answered here. And it's a need met here. And it's a breakthrough over here. And it's a season of God meeting me here. And it's a miracle here. Come on. And it's a, it's a prayer answered here that gives me confidence that I can put my trust in Him in my present need here. And if we could just begin to say, are you not the God who? See, when I call the tile guy, I'm saying, hey, are you the guy who put Darcy's tiles in? Because that's the guy I want. And so when we're calling on God for a miracle to meet us in our moment, we're saying, hey, are you not the God who? Because that's the God I want. Are you not the God who split the Red Sea? Are you not the God who made the blind man see? Are you not the God who who let the lame man walk? Are you not the God who fed 5,000 with two loaves and a a fish or however many? I don't know the numbers. Are you not the God who healed my friend because they were in hospital sick? And are you not the God who provided us with a home when we thought it was impossible? And are you not the God who brought money into our bank account through nothing we did when we were on our last dollar? And are you not the God who met me when I was alone and afraid? And are you not the God who turned up and encouraged me when I was about ready to give up? Are you not the God who? Are you not the God who's done it before? Because that's the God I need to do it again. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand against you. Listen to God's reply to Jehoshaphat's prayer. It says this in verse 15. It says, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours but God's. How many of you needed to hear that today? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. This battle is not yours to fight. It's God's. Tomorrow, go against them. You will see them coming up the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jeruel. You do not have to fight this battle, he reminds them again. Listen to what he says. He says, position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Position yourselves and stand still. Now, wait just a minute, because that doesn't sound like a very good military strategy to me. All right, everybody, get your weapons. Put your armor on. Stand in your positions. And we're just going to do nothing. We're just going to stand here. We're just going to play statues. That does not sound like a very good idea to me. And yet, here's the thing. The enemy's goal is to have you afraid and discouraged. And his plan, his intention, is that you would tire yourself out fighting a battle that isn't yours to fight. A battle that you will not win on your own. And yet God's instruction is this. You don't have to fight this battle. It's not yours to fight. And he says to them, he says, here, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to position yourselves, and then I want you to stand still. 
here, what's he saying? Listen to me now, because some of you, this is what you need to hear today. He's saying to us, you don't have to fight. You just have to not give up. You don't have to fight. You just have to not give up. To position yourself and stand still means to endure. It means to persist. It means to be steadfast. It means to remain, to hold one's ground. I watched a ridiculous time-wasting YouTube clip. Uh, When you have children, there are a lot of these that go down, right? And I, I watched one. By the man of, by the name, he gave himself, well, I'm assuming he gave himself the name, Mr. Beast. And Mr. Beast makes YouTube video clips in which he gives money away. You guys are laughing because your boys watch them too, right? Do they? I saw one of your boys. Do they watch, do you watch Mr. Beast? Do you know who he is? Yes, sort of. You know exactly who he is. He gives a lot of money away doing silly things, and it's a whole lot of time wasting. But I watched one that I just could not stop watching. And there was this one particular one where Mr. Beast had two rooms. He put 100 girls in one room inside a massive circle, and he put 100 boys in another room inside a massive circle. And the aim of the game was for them to stay within the circle for 100 hours. And the team that had the most people remaining, the girls or the boys, would win $500,000. Just want you to know the girls won. Listen, there was no skill involved in this game. There was, this was not a game of talent or intelligence. This was not a competition that was to see who had the most strategic, like this was, ju- this was simply a game of staying power. This was a game of endurance. This was a game where the winner at the end was only, the, was simply the one who did not quit. When you are competing in a sport against an opponent, whether it be boxing or some other long endurance thingy, this is not my area of expertise, but I believe what I'm saying is right, that one of the biggest strategies you can play is to hope that your opponent will tire themselves out fighting and tire themselves out so much that they make a mistake or they bring their guard down or they just make something small enough for you to get in and get ahead. And the message to Jehoshaphat and the message to you and I today is we must not be the ones that tire ourselves out fighting a battle that isn't ours to fight. We must simply be the ones that last to the end. We're simply need to be the ones who are the ones still standing. Don't give up. That's a message for someone today. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on church. Don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on seeking God. When you don't know what to do, position yourselves and stand still. Verse 17 says, He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. We had the privilege of having Pastor Banning from Jesus Culture come and and minister, and and he spoke at our pastor's conference that we had just a couple of weeks ago um, for all the pastors in our Elam movement, and and he spoke to... um, He spoke to this. He said, most of us worry about the outcome because we have believed the lie that God is either not with us or not for us. And I wonder today how many of us 
are looking at our circumstance, believing one of those two lies or both, that God is not with us or God is not for us. I want to tell you today that God, not only is God fighting the battle for you, but he is with you every step of the way. Don't be tempted to face your struggle believing that you are alone. The Lord is with you. Don't look at your problems as though God is not with you. The Lord is with you. Band, I'm going to ask you to come and join me now. Verse 18 says, Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel, shouting loudly. Verse 21 says that he appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. When they were out in front of the armed forces, they kept singing. Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. The moment they began their shouts and their praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir who came to fight against Judah, and they were defeated. I wonder how many of us need the reminder today that praise begins before victory is sure. Yeah? Our praise begins before victory is sure. Here's another interesting military strategy. They sent their worship team out in front of the armed troops. How do you guys feel about that? Come on, our praise begins before our victory is sure. Why? Well, here's what I've learned. I've learned that praise shifts what we are focusing our attention on. Praise no longer looks at the problem. Praise doesn't look at the struggle. Praise doesn't look at our circumstances. Praise doesn't sing based on what we feel. In fact, regardless of what we feel, regardless of what we even think, regardless of what we see with our physical eye, praise says, no, 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 heart. Come on, we're going to look to God. Praise says, soul, we're going to look to God. Praise says, mind, we're going to place our attention on God. We're lifting our eyes. When you sing praise, it changes your, your disposition. It changes everything. It also reminds us, because we sing it, of who He is. Lord, You are great. Lord, You are mighty. Lord, You are holy. Nothing is impossible for You. And it reminds us of who He is and what He has already done. Praise says, are You not the God who? Are You not the God who? The Word also says that He inhabits the praises of His people. So when we begin to sing His praise, guess where He is? He's right there in the middle of it. Praise reminds us that He is with us all the way. He is with us all the way. When you don't know what to do, praise, praise. I'm wrapping this up right now. A good friend of mine, Pastor Carolina Gunser, pastors an amazing church in, in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, husband of 20 years and four amazing kids, just an absolutely incredible family. Just in April this year, sadly, her husband Sam passed away after about an 18-month battle with cancer. And I remember Mother's Day was about three weeks after he passed away. And I remember seeing promoted on their um, social media for their church, because I follow their accounts, I remember seeing that Pastor Carolina was preaching. And I thought, wow, 
Like her husband died three weeks ago. And she's up there, standing on a platform in front of hundreds of people, sharing about faith. I thought, whoa, like how is she doing that? I was absolutely blown away and I couldn't understand. And then one day I was listening to her preach and it was about three months after Sam had passed. And she said that once he passed away, everyone was telling her how she should be acting now that she was a widow. They were telling her what her life needed to look like now that she was a widow. And she said, not one of those well-meaning people suggested to her that she should continue to preach, continue to lead, continue to show up leading people, continue to show up pastoring. Essentially, not one of them suggested that she should continue with the call that God had on her life. Everyone said she needed to take a break. And then she describes the Sunday after Sam passed, and it was Easter Sunday. And her kids came to her in the morning and said, Mom, are we going to church today? It's Easter. And she was like, well, I don't know. Do you guys, what do you want to do? And they looked at her like she was crazy, like she was out of her mind. And they said, well, why wouldn't we go? It's what we do. It's what we do. And she said that what she began to realize was that in her season where everything in her world had fallen apart, the only thing she could do was to do what was in her to do. To do what was in her to do. When you are up against a vast army coming in from all sides, overwhelmed, afraid, and you don't know what to do, do what's in you to do. When we are a people of God, we are a people of God. And so when we don't know what to do, we'll just do what's in us and we'll look to God. We're a people of praise. And so when we don't know what to do, we're just going to do what's in us and we're going to praise. And we are a people of prayer. And so when we don't know what to do, we're just going to do what's in us and we are going to get on our knees and we are going to pray. And we're a people of faith. And so when we don't know what to do, we're just going to do what's in us and we're going to keep believing and keep holding on. We're a people who keep turning up and don't quit. And so when we don't know what to do, we're going to do what's in us and we're going to hold on and we're going to stand our ground and we're going to keep turning up. Would you do me a favour today? Would you stand to your feet? Would you take your position? I'd love to pray for you. And I'm not sure what it is that you're journeying through right now. I don't know if you're facing a situation where you're standing there and you feel like Jehoshaphat. You're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I would love to pray for you today. Would you just, right where you're standing right now, would you just lift your hands? Just if you feel comfortable, just lift your hands. This is our position, guys. This is our position. Position yourself. This is it. Position of surrender. Position of praise. Position of my hands are open, Lord. I'm going to let you fight this battle. God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you are with us. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to fight our battles. But Lord, you are for us. You are with us every step of the way. And right now I lift up every person, every circumstance, every situation. I lift up every home, every marriage, every uh, set of finances. I lift up every job, every uni assignment. I lift up every child. I lift up 
every single circumstance. I lift up every mind, every body that has sickness right now in Jesus' name. I lift up every womb. I lift up every chain that is binding somebody right now in the name of Jesus. We declare as a people of God that we will not give up. God, strengthen our position right now. Lord, thank You that You are with us, that You do not leave us and You do not forsake us. Lord, I thank You that You are for us. And God, we say right now, are You not the God? Are You not the God who's done it before? We are a people that believes right now that You will do it again. So Lord, we hold on to faith and we do not give up. Thank You.